listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. I must be living in uh, the brightest timeline because I never thought we would have 2,650 million or more dollar Marvel film adaptations in a row in a shared universe. That, to me, is what 16-year-old Chris went, I mean, it'll never happen, but wow, it sounds like heaven. Yes, but I'll bet you never once at any point between then and now thought to yourselves, I hope one of the properties they develop is the Eternals. That that is that is actually fair. I, I don't think I had very much awareness of Jack Kirby's <laughs> The Eternals when I was a kid, partially because nope. my comic selection wasn't based on going to a proper comic book store that literally had everything. It was a pharmacy with a rack that had I don't know whatever they happened to get that. And month. it sounded like this. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did. There are a few things that sixteen-year-old me wanted and dreamed of that. 34-year-old me is like, yeah, that sounds legit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I still have some things from back then I'd like, but I've kind of ruled them out as a possibility. The fact that we saw Howard the Duck in a a somewhat decent Howard the Duck twice so far in this many years has been nice. Really? I I mean, I like Leah Thompson too, but come on. Shut up. You're getting that Morbius film film. (laughs) That was also not on my list. To be fair, that first Howard the Duck movie was a preview of what George Lucas was going to be doing to us for the next couple of years. Well, the 26th film is the third film in Marvel's Phase 4, unless you want to count the television show episodes, which I'm not really clear how those count in the numbering system. Is there a point five, a point three? I don't know. They're anyway, the annuals. Yeah, they're the annuals. <laughs> there you go. The holiday special. Exactly. Which literally they yeah, have a holiday special coming place. up. So, you know, <laughs> hey, there you go. But Eternals is based on a Jack Kirby comic book. Now, was this before or after New Gods? That it was, was at, So this was his triumphant return to the fold after having gone to DC and making all of his fourth world stuff. That didn't work out financially with DC. And he was like, well, fuck you guys. I'm taking my sandbox and going home, which I went back to Marvel and said, I'm going to create almost exactly the same thing with different names. <laughs> uh, he, he's definitely tooling in the, the same realm of content. Well, this story here follows, and this is, while this is in the MCU continuity proper, it doesn't really cross over into it very much other than spoken references, and we'll get into why. But the Eternals are a group of ten immortals who we see were sent to Earth literally at the beginning of mankind's civilization. Like We're just slightly out of hunter-gatherer phase. Right. They were sent by a celestial, which is sort of a god. I mean, at this point in Marvel, they're the biggest, most powerful thing we've seen. Just wait, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. That skull and Guardians? Yeah. That, was, that was the head of a Celestial. <laughs> this one called Arishem. He sends them down there, gives them their inhuman 
forms to say not not that not inhuman not inhuman not inhuman <laughs> totally different i don't know what you're talking about those that's not a thing in space human <laughs> in space human who uh all have special powers and they're like you must protect earth but only from one specific thing this race of fleshy rope tentacly things you know because no one has done anything with tentacles lately right. <laughs> they are called the deviants and they're there because they were the first attempt at trying to fix evolution on planets and uh uh, Airsham fucked up, and they kind of became full of themselves and decided, hey, wait a minute, I'm the alpha predator here, which fucked up the big plan, which we'll get more into once again. Like, yeah, it's not like humans did. But deviants <laughs> are pretty tough, and it takes a couple turtles to take them out, so they're like, they are protecting humankind, and they're helping their civilization along, like, one of them in particular's whole gig is creating technology, like, he's like this ultimate genius who can sort of visualize it and then build it in air and make it realized, and the temptation is to jump way ahead and like no 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 slow your roll yeah no, like the, the first big a- thing they're they're like so have you guys ever heard of cities yeah or so, would you like a steam engine dude no give them a plow <laughs> <laughs> that's i think have you ever played civilization <laughs> jesus here's netflix <laughs> do you know how much sheep and timber that's gonna take <laughs> but yeah, the movie goes back and forth through time as we see the modern day events going back and back and back as we see them throughout different civilizations, their positions where they were helping them when they had to fight the deviants. And apparently there was a point where they did, in fact, kill off all the deviants and like, great, we get to go home to our, our planet. What was it? Olympus or something? Olympia. Olympus. Oh, anyway, they were not summoned home. They're like, no, no, you, you still need to stay there. So like thousands of years, they've just sort of, they went their own way. They're like, okay, everybody go do your thing. Have fun. You got 500 years to stick your ankles up on an ice block. Watch out for the Transformers bad guys, because I hear they're here somewhere, too. (laughs) And they they look a lot like deviants. They look a lot like deviants, strangely. Modern day, and uh, suddenly, oh my god, deviants are back, and they have killed one of their own. I'm not going to say which one. So they're all like, what is going on? We have to deal with the deviants again, and there's a lot of questions about, why are the deviants back, and how did they get suddenly so much more power? There are answers here to come, and fortunately... For some, and unfortunately for others, there's 156 minutes to give them to you. We're here to talk about Eternals. I'm Chris, and joining me is... Mike. Danny Danger. Uh, Bo. We are a split crowd on this one. I believe right down the middle of liked it to didn't like it. And I love reviews like that sometimes. Yes. <laughs> this should be You fun. guys must have been tired when you saw this. <laughs> That's what I thought about you. <laughs> anyway, Gemma Chan gets her second shot at being a Marvel character. She yes. played Minerva in an earlier film, but it was under lots of makeup. So she was able to go, well, I don't know that she just kind of looked like me, I guess. It's totally different I, There was at no point that I was like, hey, she's that Cree girl. Right, exactly. But she plays Cersei, who is really our main character here, I think who is posing at this point as a museum curator on Earth, and she is dating Kit, Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington. Yeah. John Snow. I mean, he's not playing Kit Harrington, but <laughs> Dane Whitman. That would have been much more of a twist. It would have been a <laughs> yes. much more entertaining twist. I think that would have been pretty cool. I mean, she's definitely the one that, that it follows the most. And you've got Richard Madden as Icarus, who is basically Superman for all extents and purposes, except he's been gone for a while. He just kind of Batmaned out at one point. I think it's him and Cersei were in a relationship for a long time. So she got a little pissed. was like, what the fuck, dude? We've been like dating for 5,000 years. You're like, uh, I'm going out to the store, get some cigarettes, honey. Which, I'll be right back. I, I don't know. 
Call me crazy. I think 5,000 years is but plenty of time to say, like, you know, we had a good relationship. I'm going to take a vacation. It's a good run. (laughs) (laughs) Have we considered bringing, you know, swinging? I don't know. 5,000 years. I I mean, I'm sorry, but they're like 10 of these folks. They've been around for 10,000 years. It's like they're all fucking at some point. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Kumail Nanjani and his brand new muscles he loves to show off at every opportunity is Kingo, who feels like of all these guys, the one whose power is like the most. Power is, I get to throw like little energy balls, but Icarus just does it without even thinking about it with well, lasers. From he, his he's got an extremely weird power set, but it's really great because uh, his power is being generally the only funny thing going on in this fucking movie. <laughs> I disagree, but Not he is very all. funny. He's got spirit guns. Uh, but I like he was like his way. He's like, well, I went to Bollywood and I became an actor in Bollywood, and then I just kept playing my own son like <laughs> in them. So I'm still I'm huge. I'm very. I mean, successful you know, that's I'm I'm certain that Drew Barrymore was at some point Lionel Barrymore. Come on. <laughs> Leah McHugh is Sprite, who can project illusions, but she's in the body of a 12-year-old child. They gave her the Kristen, Kristen Dunst interview with a vampire disease. Exactly. <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry is Phaistos, the aforementioned inventor, Eternal, and who is the first superhero ever to be described and openly shown as gay. First gay kiss in a MCU film as well. Woo-hoo! Lauren Ridloff is Makari, who is basically the Flash, but she's also the first deaf character in uh, the MCU as well. Barry Keoghan is Druig, who is sort of a mind manipulator. I forget which new mutant she's like, but she's like one of the new mutants. Karma. Karma, thank you, that's it. Don Lee is Gilgamesh, who is... A.K.A. the Forgotten. He's super, super, super strong and basically sort of like invisible gauntlets that he can use to protect himself and, and what have you. Selma Hayek as Ajak, who is the spiritual leader of the Eternals, who sort of is the only one who can actually go and talk to the Celestials on sort of a astral projection level. And she's a healer. And then there's Angelina Jolie as Thena, who they describe as definitely, you know, she's the warrior goddess. She can make this like weapons out of energy appear in her hands and she's the best fighter out of all of them. But she also has a problem, which is that she's kind of having mad psychotic episodes. Yeah, her firmware has uh, really got a, a bug in it. She goes crazy from time to time. Her eyes turn all white and she just starts attacking whoever's closest and talking doom and gloom Cassandra type stuff. She's got the brain scramblies. Uh, and there's a lot more people in here as well, but that that's the primary <laughs> cast. That's not enough for you. There's even a, a cameo in the end credits that I would say really just goes in one direction, but Wow. <laughs> I made that joke. Okay. You're fired. Yeah. I am, I am. Okay. I'll see you yeah, later. Okay. You, Danny, okay. you take the review from here. Okay, millennial boy. <laughs> you got this, Danny. I believe in you. Oh, <laughs> I managed to not have that spoiled for me. And I just think it contributed so much to my experience watching the, the mid-credits scene. Like, just if you can avoid it, do. I had no idea. I had no idea who it know. even was. I mean, who the character was. I was like, everyone's like, oh, I'm like, who is that? <laughs> no idea very good casting yeah. by the way very I, I, I will certainly give it up I am totally rooting for this movie and I think what has happened is the Marvel Universe has finally made a very true Jack Kirby movie which is problematic because Jack Kirby while being an incredible world builder an incredible idea guy and an incredible artist not the best at narrative sometimes Jack is especially when he's not doing battle shit he's very much like yeah, these two characters in love, so I will make them say they are in love, and uh, you should believe that, because uh, I just said it. <laughs> and there's no real build-up, no real emotional investment. And that's kind of like me with this whole film. I, I keep on wanting to really care about these characters, and they all really feel, although they are dealing with big things, and although they are dealing with emotional things, everybody just seems kind of flat. With some exception, I did like Kamali Nanjani quite a bit. 
his valet in particular is fucking awesome. Oh, absolutely. Don Lee as Gilgamesh, even Thena, but... You know, we're really asked to invest the most in Icarus and Cersei, and I like Gemma Chan. I think she's an amazing actress, and I'm just not feeling it for her. Same with Richard Madden. Everybody just seemed to be kind of like pouty and, huh, huh, huh. The spark never ignited, even though there's tinder everywhere, but there was no fire for me. This whole thing kind of feels flat. It's fairly humorless in a way that is very atypical of a Marvel film. Chow has a lot of heavy lifting to do here. I have nothing but sympathy for her. I think she's a very good director. They threw her into the goddamn deep end. I can't think of many deeper cuts than the fucking Eternals, especially for a first-time Marvel director. And I forget, this wasn't her first thing that she said she wanted, but apparently Marvel really wanted her for this. And in the end, she was like, well, I like the... She's apparently a huge Marvel fan lady. She's been following the comics since she was a little kid. She didn't have to be talked into this. No. And then, in fact, she wasn't even supposed to be a writer initially, and she was like, no, 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 I want to write this. Right. And got into the writing room. Well, so. for me, the, the effort did not succeed. It's, it's certainly not something that I was just like, if I didn't have to be here, I'd walk out by any stretch of the imagination. Not that bad at all. But yeah, when held up against the other very bright lights in this incredible interconnected universe, it's a less sparklier ornament on the Christmas tree. And Danny, I believe you have a counterpoint. So for me, I think that there were a lot of growing pains for this movie, and I think that the loss of some deeper characterization of many of the characters is absolutely one of those growing pains, but for me, the interactions that were the most impactful and meaningful were the Eternals' interactions with humanity. Marvel does not do politics. The only time in previous Marvel stories that they've really touched on any deep kind of issues were these sort of vague philosophical issues that come up in Civil War that don't actually really apply to anything in the real world. World, and it allows viewers to really detach themselves and put themselves in a different space. And the Eternals just went full ham on talking about issues like genocide and <laughs> violent tendencies of humanity measured up against the hope and prospects of human nature. And that to me is where the real gold lies is how each of these characters sort of interacts with the fact that they've been stuck on this planet and forced to defend these creatures that many of them are like, these guys suck. Why are we keeping them alive? Mm -hmm. And in that long time frame, being forced to realize that the issue isn't nearly as cut and dry. Like, I just think it's really wild that Marvel went from, we're not going to touch anything controversial to, to phase four, where they're like, we're going to get to the heart of most controversial issues that are relevant and important today. And I think that a lot of the character development that I loved and just really fed off of and, and related to had to do less with how the characters interacted with each other and more to do with how the characters interacted with those concepts. And I think that was really brave for Marvel. And I think it's finally the movies sort of evolving in the way that the comic books have evolved generation after generation. Because for comic book fans, like we all know that comic books as a medium don't shy away from politics and issues of humanity and prickly, uncomfortable things. <laughs> Um, yeah, no matter what people on message boards like to say whenever yeah. they decide to do something that even mildly seems like a liberal choice anymore. Yeah, even exactly. Though that's always been a liberal media. I remember and when X-Men wasn't an allegory for all of the things. Yeah, right? For Marvel to not only address it, but not skate around it, to just really wade knee deep in those kinds of concepts, mm -hmm. I thought 
was really heavy and really impressive. I, I like that. I think more so even than them directly relating with humanity. It's still about them relating with each other, but the fact that they've been alone for so long, they've kind of gotten stuck in their own groove and their own versions of relations to humanity. And it's the way as they get to know each other again and they start to are sort of comparing experiences and arguing about their experiences that that stuff really comes up. It's less them directly interacting and more them interacting with each other and feeling the results of all of this years of isolation, if you will. Yeah. I did feel like it was one big family in a lot of ways. And my family is very dysfunctional as you get out towards the fringes. So I, I, I think most people's are. I kind of was like, yeah, this is, it feels like a realistic family to me. It really mm-hmm. does. But I don't know, Mike, we haven't heard much from you. I know you're, you also kind of fall on the, eh. Well, I I didn't hate it or anything. It's just like my issue with it. So it's a getting the band back together kind of movie. Everything you guys have said is great still, because I actually do agree with pretty much everything you guys have said so far. But my issue with the interactions between them is that I never really felt like they were the family. It's a lot of tell, not a lot of show, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to some stuff with Sprite and Icarus. It's a lot of going, I love you, man. It's like, (laughs) do you though? You just say that a lot and I don't feel it. Um, Especially like we're, we're actually asked. It's like, what? None of you saw that? It's like, not until you actually deadass told us. That's yeah. when we saw it. Well, some it. relationships I really didn't want them to waste their time on. Like, I don't yeah. care about watching Icarus and Cersei fall in love over mm-hmm. the course of gazillions yeah. of years. Also, the like, movie's not 7,000 years yeah, that long, one, yeah. although it felt like it to some people. Yeah, but. that's a that's a great example of what I mean, because Cersei and Icarus, they're like, we're so in love. I'm like, are you, though? Because, like, I, mean, I never feel that the entire movie. Like, I feel you f- more in love with Kit Harrington within the first five minutes yeah. of you talking yeah. to each other. <laughs> I, I seem to recall having seen movies where I'm like, yes, I can tell those two people are in love by the way that they are interacting and acting with each other. And it's not something like, oh, you left out a great big fucking scene or something. It's just like, there is nothing revelatory in the way that these people are interacting that shows me, yes, Mm -hmm. this is a couple that very much loved each other at one point. I mean, very little of the screen time is taken up with points when they were actually together. Like, very little of the screen time is about that period of time, because ultimately, that period of time is only relevant as a note towards later of like, okay, this person I used to love. It's about mm-hmm. having an ex that you used to love and you haven't seen for a while, but you never really got over them. An it's X-Men, not about if you will. their current love. <laughs> like I said, that is stated to me rather explicitly. Mm-hmm. I want to at least feel it implicitly. I did. I would like to have seen some very tangible difference between these two characters interacting when they're having this beautiful marriage scene that I really appreciated and when they're meeting up for the first time after X number of years and he basically like ghosted her without reason. And I do agree there was not really an intimacy disconnect between one point in in the timeline and the other. So I do. And I don't know if that's just on the actors. Like maybe there just wasn't, there just wasn't a lot of chemistry. Like I don't want to watch them make out on a big screen for two hours, which is usually something I'm totally okay with. Like, (laughs) Yeah. My other biggest issue is the deviants themselves. Yeah. They're completely pointless. I thought they were really, really generic looking and generic design. I was like, okay, really? That's it. And then they didn't even seem like they put the final polish on. They they followed this very popular, like let's take the Xenomorph from alien and cover it in tentacles. And that's like been everybody's, especially in gaming. This has been like, people think that that's some kind of, of brainchild. And it's like, no, this is the way that all cars in the 80s looked alike. <laughs> yeah. I was really, really surprised. Like, I was full on 100% expecting Fina to have her romance with the deviant that is canon Crow. in the comics. Yes, Crow. Um, I was really expecting them to share a thing. And especially, I think that they really 
teased that in the trailer and then just Mm. never followed up on it. And I think that they tried to in a way with the overall fate of Gilgamesh, but it didn't land. And I really would have liked to have seen something more. It just feels like another. It was a nod. It was a nod. I don't, I don't think it was a loose end because they never outside of you knowing about it in the comics. Like if you never knew about it in the comics, which I didn't, then I would never have realized it, which I didn't, that there was something missing there. I definitely wanted them to do more with the deviants. I'm glad they did not go down that road, especially at that point in time. Right. Because I'd been like, this is not what I want for a fucking sequel for this movie that yeah. we're, and we're they're doing. actually not even talking about a sequel. And they had, they said from the beginning, they're like, there was never any plans to do an Eternals 2. We do want these guys to show up further on yeah. in the universe mm-hmm. and be involved in other things. I said this, but when we left it the other, I think it is their most ambitious film. The Eternals Certainly. is the deepest of cuts of Marvel to the point where I read a lot of comics and I had no fucking idea who these guys were. Yeah. I had asked Danny before the movie started, I'm like, who the fuck are the Eternals? Like, I, I have I no mean, fucking I, idea. I read years ago the occasional original Kirby like bit from it and from New Gods. I never sat down and just went, I'm reading all of this. And then I read the Neil Gaiman like sort of return of the Eternals thing that he did many, many years later, which was actually kind of dull. I read three issues of that. I love Neil Gaiman and I was yeah. just like, yeah, I'm just not fucking interested. <laughs> Some of his superhero stuff falls a little flat, but oh. Hey. We'll we'll let it go. Yeah, we will. And we'll go on to final thoughts. Danny, why don't you get us started? I loved this movie. I love it because it evolved outside of the standard Marvel cookie cutter origin story. And for better or for worse, I think it was brave. I think it was challenging. I think it offers up a lot of really important things that are important for the MCU. I love that they unashamedly just gave Fastos the opportunity to just casually kiss his husband like any other straight couple. And I think that's really going to be important for a lot of people who are sitting in the audience that have been waiting for that. Uh, me, me, I'm talking about me. <laughs> and for all of its weird, uncomfortable moments, I really enjoyed watching it because I think it is going to allow future Marvel movies a lot more leeway in what they are able to do creatively and what audiences do and do not expect from Marvel movies. We've been kind of overdue for a Marvel movie that breaks the mold Mm -hmm. of Marvel origin stories. And this is sort of paving the way for more of that, which I'm all for. 3.5 Kirby crackles out of five. Oh, that is pretty good. (laughs) God damn it. I was going to say Kirby dots, but I'll figure something out. Mike? I thought this movie was fine. Like, I don't think it's the greatest thing, but I do love the fact that it's not exactly like every other Marvel film. There's so much great stuff in it, though, that I I can't say don't watch it in any way. Like, I really think this movie sets up a lot of very important, interesting things in the Marvel Universe, as well as just culturally. If you like any of these actors, you'll probably have a good time with it. Remember that you won't really care all that much about the villains by the time it's done, or who even the villain is at at that point. But um, I would have to give it 7 out of 10 Bollywood dances. But... Uh, yeah, I'm sticking to my guns, and I, I agree with a lot of the points you guys have brought up, and as far as what Danny is saying, the moments of representation in this movie are very good. That scene with Fausto was incredible. The fact that Makari is, is the first deaf person and no big deal is made out of the relationship with that family member's like, in some ways, her relationship with the other Eternals is one of my favorite things, and it feels the warmest in a lot of ways, and that's great. 
Much like the Guardians of the Galaxy kind of teased us into, like, hey, this is the cosmic Marvel. It's bigger than just Earth. It's not just people fighting crime in New York. This is opening us up to that Jack Kirby, very broad cosmos of, like, there are these wheels that have been spinning for a, for a long time, and, you know, Earth's a big part of it. Hopefully a, a little bit bigger of the part that apparently was intended for here. <laughs> but that being said, it's like reading a lot of Jack Kirby, which is just like, this is really pretty. I love the world building, and this is really fascinating, and I think somebody's going to take this and do some other amazing things with it. But for me, this was not it. Story-wise, it just could not gain momentum with me for me to reach that giddy joy that I often reach. And you know, you've been sitting next to me in enough movies where I'm yeah. going like, <laughs> I'm like, why is my seat getting wet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I am one who is not unfamiliar with the Eternals either. You know, this wasn't that much of a deep cut, and maybe that counted against me. I think this is going to be a struggle for for casual fans. I don't think that people are going to see those big concepts because they're going to be going like, well, I just, I really don't care about these characters all that much. I give it six and a half uh, cigars out of the old King's cigar box. You know, I know for me, one of my like running things I always come back to is any story about world-weary immortals who've been alive for a very long time, and then suddenly they have to deal with some new take on it. That's a context of like, whether it's vampires or anything else. I'm like, I love that idea. And this is a different take on it, partially because it's just a huge ensemble cast. And I like that they're dealing with all these different takes of it and all these different ways that the people dealt with it. I love the way when they're showing the stuff in the past, like you get to see the hanging gardens of Babylon. I was like, oh, that's so fucking cool looking. There's a lot of stuff like that. Which are probably apocryphal. Which are probably apocryphal, but we're talking about the Marvel Universe. (laughs) Not a film. Yes, the Eternals are actually apocryphal. Brought to you by Fox News. (laughs) You know, it's not that. It's the MCU. So they're real in canon of the MCU now. Well, brook no further dissent on this issue. Anyway. Yeah, I actually really had a good time with it. It's the only really big problem I had where I thought the Deviants were, I mean, really the whole Deviants Eternals relationship felt so much like the Transformers plot that I couldn't help but think of the Transformers plot every time. (laughs) Well, to be fair, they probably catch that from the Eternals. (laughs) Everyone knows the Deviants are a red herring. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fair. But also that they're just cliched and boring. You're like, they don't look that cool. It's not that original. It's better than them just being a mysterious cloud. But, you know. Which uh, sucks because the Deviants in the comic book are supposed to be kind of the opposite of the Eternals. mm -hmm. And I love the Eternals design, you know, like their suits and the suits all the, the, is where their tools, the way their power the, manifests. Of the Kirby, you know, yeah. drawing lines are mm-hmm. there in that, in the suit, their ship. I don't know, there was so much I really liked, and in the end I, I was like, I was aware it was a long movie, but I was never bored for a second during this. I was like, wow, where's this gonna go next? I mean, Mikey pointed out, there's no real villain. Yeah, that made me so happy! That's <laughs> the Marvel formula! Oh, there's gotta be a villain, and if it's not exactly right, everyone's gonna bitch. The villain is not a traditional Marvel villain at all. The That's villain a thing. Is colonization. Is like, it turns out we were we were the villain all along. I mean, like basically, humans are just ants. They hold a mirror the, up to you. Humans in the film are and ants like, ah. to the gods, but the gods are also not villains per se. But how do you, you know, I, I don't how know. do you Some of them are act fairly villainous in well, this. In this particular god I'm talking about, I don't think it's a villainous decision. It's just a well. Why should I have any consciousness of the existences or the importance of the lives of ants? Which you know, yeah. for a billions of year old all powerful being, is fair. Yeah, sometimes yeah. to make a omelet you have to break eggs 
Okay, then. <laughs> Somebody's hungry. I really did enjoy this, though. I was with this all the way. I get you guys' points. I just didn't share them. I thought this was an interesting and not darkly existential, but exploring those ideas. Look at the Marvel Universe. And I love that it, we're getting so much deeper into what is the Marvel Universe? What is the cosmic origins? Because with both Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy, it's more of a woohoo sort of look at the cosmic world. And this is more of a, oh, there's some fucked up shit out there. <laughs> this is this is really old. This goes back. Yeah, it's not like that guy who cheerfully wanted to kill half the galaxy or half the universe. No, no, the villains are ridiculously <laughs> over the top in those cases, like a typical Marvel villain. Mm-hmm. This is like, yeah, well, when your villainy isn't that defined... <laughs> That's a different scenario. I feel like that's a really big Marvel Phase 4 thing, though, is yeah. taking the idea of a villain and what is good and what is evil yes. and really turning it on its head. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. More We're com- getting into the Bronze Age where things stopped being it's, fun. <laughs> it's more complicated than just, you know, oh, this villain has layers. It's more like, are they even a villain, really? Or is it a matter of you, y'all just don't communicate on the same level at all, and you need to figure out how to do that. I think that's interesting. Anyway, I like this a lot, and I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 post-credits cameos that if you don't want to hear, you should turn off your recording right now, because we're going to talk about them. And I'm going to say, are the we? last person I expect to see in this film, I don't care about Eros, whatever. Pip the Troll! <laughs> <laughs> and voiced by Pat Oswalt. Oh, thank you, Marvel. You just made my whole day at that end bit. I'm like, oh, so nice. <laughs> I can't be the only one who was excited to see Pip the Troll here. I, I was. I wish the CGI had been a little better, but they sure. can fix that. Yeah, it, uh, that it wouldn't that's be the first time that a character's first appearance in a post-credit yeah. scene was nowhere near as good as when we finally saw them in the movie. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Thanos. Uh, <laughs> Pip is usually more associated with, of course, Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. So, and instead we get we get Eros. Huge spoiler. They have actually uh, announced Adam yes, Warlock for yes, sure being in the next in cast, the Guardians in the film. Guardians yes. of the Galaxy. So yeah. yeah, well, obviously there's going to be some shoelaces tied together for all of. This. And finally, Thor gets a drinking buddy. I. <laughs> love Harry Styles and he is just such an out of the box casting for this character for the MCU. He's really perfect though. He's, He's perfect. Amazing. And I am so thrilled to see him join the MCU and I think he's going to add he, so much charm to the character. Has he done much other than Dunkirk? Acting-wise? Uh, not that I know of. He okay. was into something with Olivia Yeah, he was Mano fine in Dunkirk. No complaints at all. I wish you could see Danny right now. She's like, flames I'm- on the <laughs> side of my face! <laughs> yes. Filled with watermelon yes. sugar. Yes, they are glowing. <laughs> I'm so excited about Harry Styles. 